Hello and welcome. This week on the POI podcast, we'll be delving into the debate of Scottish independence. With the recent controversy surrounding Nicola Sturgeon and ministerial duty, many new questions around Scotland's future have arisen. Will the SNP's chances of a successful vote to leave the UK be hindered? Does Alex Salmond's new party, Alba, stand a chance at disrupting Scottish politics? And does the SNP have a future under Sturgeon? Joining me today, we have Alex Dennis for the Conservatives, Abby Clargo for Labour and Frank Allen for the Liberals. A POI Conservative article from last year argued that devolution has been a disaster and that independence could only be worse. So I'd like to first ask Alex whether you agree with this. That's a very good question. Um, I don't, I wouldn't quite say that devolution has been a disaster, um, but I certainly would say that Scottish independence would be an economic disaster. Um, I think devolution has probably been quite important in terms of just efficiency overall, because obviously you know, a Scottish government would be able to better address Scottish needs, as well as a Welsh and Northern Ireland one. But um, yeah, I think independence is a, a different question entirely to devolution. OK, well, you mentioned the economic arguments for remaining part of the union, but some would argue that it's more of an issue of sovereignty and comparable to Brexit. What are your thoughts on that aspect? Well, yeah, no, that's a it, it, essentially there are two arguments. Another. It's the emotional argument of sovereignty and the economic argument of, um, well, finances. And it does parallel the Brexit discourse, obviously, of 2014, 15 and early 16 before June. And as we saw, often the emotive arguments are stronger than the economic ones, even if perhaps the outcomes um, aren't great. And I think actually the economic downside to Scottish independence is far greater than the economic downside to Brexit. And I think perhaps nationalist sentiment and you know, a strong and deserved you know, wanting of sovereignty and independence might lead them off an economic cliff. Would you say Boris Johnson has acted appropriately in his, uh, well, denying Scotland further votes for independence since he's getting his majority? I think he's had other things to deal with, to be fair. Um, perhaps once we get out of this COVID storm, we, we, we might see more on that front. But, you know, they had, a, had an independence referendum, what, seven years ago? Granted, Brexit does somewhat change the picture. Um, but I, I think he's had other things to deal with, to be frank. It's interesting you mentioned that. And I have a question for Abby, sort of relating to this. Um, Starmer recently visited Scotland and he criticised the SNP's inability to focus on anything but independence and criticised their ineffectiveness during the pandemic. Do you think Starmer was right in his criticisms of Sturgeon and her government? I think there's definitely an element of truth there. And I, when I was doing my research for this podcast um, earlier, I, that was one of the themes that I came across is that seemingly Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP's only focus on independence. Um, I recently replied to an article, actually, um, a Conservative article by Oliver Pike, who was talking about how uh, the SNP are leading the charge against liberty. And while there were different things in that article that I agreed and disagreed with, I think my main criticism is that the SNP's only do focus on um, independence. And I'd be worried that if they stop pursuing this or if they were granted independence in the future, I don't know where they would go from there because it seems like their entire party and their electoral campaigns are focused around independence. So it's kind of worries about the future, but I do think they address, um, I think you can tell that Nicola Sturgeon especially is very patriotic. She's very proud of her country and she wants to do the best for Scotland, whether that's for the benefit or the detriment of her country and others. Um, 
So I don't think you can deny that she's trying to do the, her best for Scotland, but I think that's also led by her really strong desires for independence. So yeah, I would say that there's definitely a lot of elements of truth in Starmer's statement. Do you think Scottish Labour could prove a powerful opposition under their new leader, Sawa? Because he's been quite heavily criticising Sturgeon. His popularity has been going quite quite considerably up in the polls. I think just generally the SNP's um, and everything coming out about Nicola Sturgeon recently and different members of the SNP party, um, that's going to decrease their popularity on the whole in Scotland. So I think any opposition now will have a better chance than they did a couple of months ago or a few years ago. Um, I think it's too early to tell if it'll be a strong opposition. I think we'll have to wait and see. But it, yeah, the polls are looking good. So I think it's going up. But again, I think opposition to the SNP's now have a chance to kind of come up because obviously we've seen in previous elections that the SNP dominates Scotland. Um, it'll be interesting to see in future elections whether this is still the case and whether it continues to increase or whether it goes down. Okay, on the theme still of opposition, a question for Frank, the Scottish Liberal Democrat leader, Willie Rennie, has not only predicted a mass decline in support for SNP, but a mass increase in support for the Lib Dems. Do you think the Scottish Lib Dems could prove to be a significant opposition? No, I, I genuinely do not think the <laughs> Lib Dems will be a good opposition. Not only have they sort of sold out on um, many of their issues, they're also a party without a proper stance. Um, with the SNP, it's not just, I, I disagree with Starmer's statements. I think it's not just an independence party, although obviously in recent months that has been their main focus. Um, it's more a social democratic party. And this is the problem that a lot of people in Labour um, especially nowadays, are not recognising is that Labour's hold on Scotland was down to its social democratic anti-Tory premise. Um, and I think Boris Johnson's continual um, remaining in power is going to give the SNP strength, because unfortunately it seems like it's been a sort of a dialectic between two sides, where Boris Johnson will spout off anti-Scottish rhetoric and then Sturgeon will match his game and do the same against the Tories. Um, and unfortunately it's ended up in a situation where Scottish independence has not only been a result of Sturgeon's own words, it's also been a result of Boris Johnson's. Um, and inevitably, the SNP provide not only the strongest sort of source of opposition to Tory politics in Scotland um, and pro-EU politics, which is, would have been you know, where the Lib Dems would have stood most strongly, um, but also the SNP provide the, um, the bulwark of opposition in Parliament, both at Holyrood and in Westminster. I think it'll be think really... That... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Abby. Um, I was just going to say, I, I know I've said that the SNP do s seem to focus on independence a lot, and I know that's one of their kind of main aims. But I'm not denying that they have um, kind of other mandate points to fulfil and they have other focuses as well. They certainly do. Um, I think for us, living outside of Scotland, a lot of what we see is focused on independence because it's something that affects the rest of the UK as well. Um, Going back to opposition, I think Labour could prove um, a strong opposition in future elections. But really, right now, I can't see, even though the SNP's, um, you know, there's been a few scandals, if you like, um, in recent kind of days and weeks. I really don't see them going down in popularity enough to kind of, uh, to their detriment, really. I think the SNP's are always going to have a really strong hold on Scotland um, in years to come. And I think... Yeah, like Frank says, um, they are a good opposition to the Tory party. And if that's the way to keep Conservatives out of Scotland, I think you'll see a lot of, Sco a lot of Scots continuing to vote for the SNPs. 
Alex, do you have any thoughts on this, especially of Ruth Davidson's uh, success in Scotland? Yes. Well, obviously, the S&P does have separate, separate points, separate mandate points in terms of their domestic agenda. But I do think, obviously, the head of S&P, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, has very much pigeonholed herself politically. And if she doesn't get independence or if she stops fighting for independence, she'll be seen as a political failure. And whether that's true or false, that's just the optics of the situation. So I think, you know, when Abby said, you know, she's, she's doing it for the best of her country, I disagree. You know, I've, I've been looking at this question for you know, at least a year in terms of articles and, and, and various interests. It's obviously part of my family is Scottish. And I can't see the ace in the hole that's going to kind of recover the economic cliff that she's going to take the Scottish people over. I, I can't see what, what her, her secret weapon is. So I think very much that perhaps she's doing this in almost a self-servient manner rather than something that's for the good of Scotland. What will ultimately be, in my opinion, sort of Nicola Sturgeon's saving grace as a Labour guy. Um, and ultimately, the success of the SNP is going to be down to the success of Labour. Because being realistic about it, it, with a Tory government in power, if Scotland were to secede, um, it would be, as I agree with Alex, an economic shambles. Um, but that is partially because of how Brexit would be dealt with. It would be not only a problem with the border itself, in terms of imports, but also in terms of common land um, and national land as well, especially regarding the fisheries and the EU policy. Um, and then there will be the legislative challenges, like who rules on Scottish independence? Will it be the devolved parliament, Brussels, London? I mean, ultimately, if there were a Labour government in power, there would be not only more cause for um, Nicola Sturgeon to hope for independence, but actually potentially more cause for anti-independence to become a proper force. Mm. Yeah, if, if I may, I would just like to recount some of the economic arguments kind of in, in more detail, because I've just been saying, that oh, it's an economic cliff, it's an economic cliff, but I'd like to actually recount some detail. Pre-COVID, the, the deficit figure was 8.6%, whereas the rest of the UK, that's Northern Ireland, Wales and England, was around about 2.4% as an average. And there's a £15.1 billion gap between revenue and expenditure. And that was pre-COVID. So essentially, if Scotland were to go independent, they would either have to drastically reduce public spending, that means, you know, the, the Scottish NHS, the you know, public services like transport, perhaps teaching, all of these things would have to be cut or taxes would go up massively. And then you've also got the, the, uh, the currency problem. I don't see that there's any way that the Bank of England would let um, Scotland continue the use of uh, the British sterling. Um, it just doesn't make fiscal or regulatory sense. I'm not going to bore you with the, the, the technical details of that. There's also the problem of sovereign debt. They would most certainly have to shoulder their fair share of sovereign debt of the UK if they're to, to sign a deal with, with Westminster. And also back to the topic of the, of the deficit, the EU has a policy that they don't accept new members with a deficit, I think it's of over 2 or 3%. Well, the Scottish either stands either triple that or quadruple that at least. So, yeah. Just to, just to give a little bit of specificity to the argument, it's really quite staggering why she's pushing this forward. I think there's definitely an element of, firstly, pride. Um, SNP is you know, renowned for its independence, so it's not going to give that up. And Nora Sturgeon, like Abby said, she is patriotic, um, perhaps to the point of insanity where she will take 
Scotland to places where it hasn't been. But I do think there are situations which can be resolved if Scotland did become independent with a soft border Britain. Um, I don't think the currency is as big a deal as, um, say, the border itself. I think, you know, Sean O'Grady writing for the um, Independent in his actually quite anti-independent article um, was arguing that Scot uh, Scottish currency, especially with the, um, if, if they do transition to the euro, um, won't be as much as the thorny bush as, you know, a lot of Tory pundits would put it out to be. The real issue will be firstly the deficit and the joining of the EU, um, but also secondly, the trade and the import system with the UK itself and perhaps even citizenship. But, you know, that's aside from economics. Well, well yes, as you say, and if I may jump in again, 60% you know, of all Scottish exports go to the rest of the UK. And that, that is a mind-bogglingly large figure. And if they were to rejoin the EU, there would certainly have to be some sort of border or tax custom between Scotland and England. Um, and that would massively affect export. And yeah, 60% of that is a huge number to be putting at risk, in my opinion. Mm. I completely agree with what you're both saying. I think anyone who knows anything about the Scottish independence debate knows that the economic uncertainties are the sort of biggest con for the independence campaign. Um, I also think, like Frank said, there's definitely an element of pride that comes into it, but also an element of democracy, because we can't forget the Brexit figure from 2016, that 62% of Scottish people voted to remain in the EU. Um, so I think part of it is coming from the need to give the Scottish people another chance to vote and another referendum. And I, you know, regardless of whether I support independence or not, I'm completely for another referendum because... I think the people should have the chance to choose. I just hope that they're not kind of indoctrinated, I guess, by the SNP's pride and the SNP's want for greater power and independence. Um, and they're not kind of misled away from the economic uncertainties, uncertainties. So I think another referendum would be worth it, whichever way it goes. Um, I think there's obviously a lot of concerns, but I would like to see the people given another chance to vote on what's such an important issue for their country. And I think probably why the SNPs are kind of leading this charge for another independent uh, referendum is because of democratic reasons. I think that probably does come into it quite a bit. Yeah, I 100% agree with um, Abby. I think the Scottish people need to um, be given the choice to self-determinate, even if that is at the detriment of themselves and of the UK. Um, but to sort of bridge the gap between democracy and the economic chasm, I think, you know, this is a bit of a joke now coming from me because I mention this on every podcast, but there does need to be a citizens assembly of some sort uh, or citizens assemblies um, to sort of lay out the situations to a representative group of people from all sorts of walks of society um, to have this debated, to have this discussed um, and then to have the vote afterwards. And of course, with the proceedings of the citizens assemblies published, um, because I think there is a lot of, I hate to call it emotional because, you know, there is a lot of historical identitarian um, politics behind it with, you know, graphic and detailed evidence to back up the claims for Scottish nationhood. But I do think, yeah, that needs to be um, sort of levelled out slightly. But again, it's not for me to, you know, call on what the Scots should do with their independence. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to Scottish people are unhappy. Um, we can't hide that a lot of people want independence um, to kind of get away from 
the sort of disparities that Scotland have with the UK. And Alex, you just mentioned all of the economic problems that existed pre-COVID in Scotland. Um, so I think a citizen assembly would be a good way of kind of realising what the problems are, what people are unhappy with. And also another question to ask is, how can we solve the problems, the economic problems that Scotland have um, at the moment and that will continue to exist without immediately jumping to independence? I think surely there should be something uh, below independence, something not as extreme, if you like, that we can do to kind of make these issues a lot better and make people not want to leave the UK. I think jumping to independence might be a bit extreme, but I can see why people want to do it because these economic issues are very real issues. Yeah, and I, I think to build on Abby's point there, the Scottish working class in particular loathe the sort of the Tory elites that rule over this country with an, well, not with an iron fist, but with a sort of a complete disregard and actual, uh, actually a division um, and divide and rule sort of tactic, which is to separate the working classes against themselves almost. Like you have a Scottish working class who overwhelmingly voted for Remain and, Scot and the British or English working class, if you want to call them, um, who voted overwhelmingly for Leave. And obviously, you know, the Tories by saying they're pandering to a working class vote um, by pushing through the Brexit deal is ultimately ignoring the who are feeling not only left out by the Tories and their Brexit ideas, but also generally by a system of austerity that has ruined the country for decades um, and perhaps led to the deficit that is now resulting, hence the need for independence from a Tory hegemony over the past decade. Um, and secondly, also, it's generally a system that the Tories push of a sort of an ideal of meritocracy gets you everywhere. And I think, you know, Scotland has very much fallen behind um, with that regard. And actually, in fact, despite the complete um, sidelining from government, they still succeed in um, many other aspects. Although obviously with independence, there are going to be a lot of um, sort of strife over firstly the oil fields, the fisheries. Um, so, yeah, it could be even more economic crippling for Scotland. But again, that's um, you know something that uh, Scottish people have to reconcile with after independence. Yeah, I, th I think you make a, a very good point, Frank. And just before I get onto that, I, I most certainly agree that I think Scotland deserves the choice. You know, I, I'm currently living in uh, Catalonia. Obviously, there are quite a few parallels between Scotland and Catalonia. And the, the sentiment amongst the people here that they can't have their own choice is, is something that grates against them a lot. So I 100% support the question being posed. I just hope that the SNP gives both sides a fair shake, which they won't. Um, and so that the Scottish people are informed when they're making a decision. And I think, Frank, you make a very good point. One of the greatest problems of this country is that we are centred around London and we're centred around Westminster. And I think this echoes when it, when it moves to kind of the, the extremities of, of the country. Obviously, Scotland is a long, long way from Westminster and it very much feels dislocated. Obviously, they do have Holyrood, but most of the power is, is located within London and obviously most of the funding. And I think as you say, if we're to try and save the union, we really need to have a look at the, the, power, the power dynamics and the, the way that British democracy is constructed. Otherwise, I can see us losing um, Scotland, perhaps eventually Northern Ireland to a unified island, and then perhaps even Wales as well. So, yeah, I, I think we do need to take preemptive action. Otherwise, we could see a very very quick dissolution of, of Britain. I think yeah. the, potentially um, looking for like solutions, um, taking up Abby's request, I think firstly we need um, a complete reformation of democracy in this country. 
Um, something I've talked about in a previous podcast, but I think it's very pertinent with the Scottish issue. And Scottish independence shows the flaws in our democracy rather than the successes. So, um, sorry, Karen. I was going to say, and secondly, I think um, there needs to be, and this is easier said than done, obviously, but there needs to be um, a complete overhaul in government in terms of which parties are represented. Um, and so currently the Labour, and because of the way that the system works with first past the post, um, we won't ha likely have a Labour government for the next several years if the election is you know, called anytime sooner than 2024. Um, so if, if, if a broadly left-wing coalition was elected um, and managed to maintain power in Parliament, then that could sort of stem um, not only the um, issues with independence, but also the issues with Scottish, uh, Scottish economic downturn. Hmm. So what type of things would both you and Abby suggest would, would help with kind of the devolved powers and keeping them a part of this project rather than kind of driving them away? It's a difficult question. And I know I posed the question, what else can we do other than independence? And I probably should have had an answer before I asked that. Um, I think devolution is a great thing that we have in the UK. Not many countries have it in the world. And I think for the most part, it works quite well. Um, again, this is something I mention in every podcast, but obviously I'm from Wales and have <laughs> lived under a devolved government most of my life. Um, and the devolved powers we have Kind of living in um, Exeter for University in England, um, I really noticed the difference in some aspects um, and different areas that we have devolved powers in in Wales um, that I would say Wales benefits from, um, certainly from the coronavirus response over the last year. Um, I know that policy changes and this has gone on for a long time, but definitely at the start of the pandemic, the fact that Wales had control over certain measures meant that we were in a much better place and had a lot less cases and I really think that that helped us and if it wasn't for devolution I think Wales would have been in a much worse position so I think devolution is a really great thing and for the most part it works quite well but there's certainly different flaws and different creases that need to be ironed out um, particularly in the case of Scotland because obviously something's not working there and I think it we need a really good conversation to work out what it is um, if it takes a Labour government to do that then Obviously, I'm all for that. Um, but yeah, we definitely need to iron out these flaws of devolution, but keep devolution. I'm a massive kind of advocate for that. Yeah, 100%. I think devolution is probably the, the way forward. And I think in terms of nationwide changes, um, the things that do come down to Westminster at the end of the day, um, there needs to be a hearing of Scotland, Wales, and especially Northern Ireland um, at the moment. Um, not only proportional to their population, but proportion to, you know, where they stand in the nation. So rather than treating them as like, you know, 10% or 20% as a, you know, based on their population, um, they need to be treated as 25% equally. Um, I think that would give some justice for Scotland to still be a part of the union if they are being treated fairly. Um, and not even just proportionally, but as part of their population, but proportionally as part of their sort of um, geographical representation within the UK. Um, but yeah, I think to sort of um, build on what Abby was saying, I think yeah, if we have devolution and we allow devolution to continue, that's not gonna um, you know, bring about the cause of independence or anything will help impede it. Yeah, yeah, perhaps one of the better ways to have gone, gone about Brexit would be to have required a majority in all four constituent parts of the UK. So the majority in Wales, the majority in, 
England, a majority in Scotland and a majority in Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, perhaps that would have been a, a, a better way of phrasing it. Um, yeah. I'd just like to say the conversation to one sort of final question that's really been plaguing uh, the Scottish politics and something that Alex Salmond uh, brought up. When all the scandal was going around with Sturgeon and himself, he said that he did not believe Sturgeon was the right person to lead Scotland into independence. Do you guys think that the SNP could take Scotland into independence under Sturgeon or do you feel they need fresh blood at the top? If I may go first, um, yeah, I, I most certainly agree with Sam. And obviously he's saying that because he wants to further his own political cause, but I, I do mm. think he's correct. Um, just something doesn't sit right with me with Sturgeon, you know, I, I'm a massive fan of Scotland. I think it's a fantastic country, one of the most beautiful if you can guarantee the weather. But there's just something that rings, you know, like a, a thinly pale, thinly veiled power grab. Um, I don't see why she's doing what she's doing other than to further her own political power and that of her, her party. So, so perhaps some new blood would work, but maybe they would drink from the same poison chalice, get, get a a taste of that power and kind of push the same agenda. Yeah, I agree. I think Nicola Sturgeon is one of these um, very, no, she has definitely turned into a power politician, um, understandably, of course. But, you know, whilst I disagreed with a lot of what Oliver wrote in his article about the SNP becoming authoritarian um, or being like a Stalinist authoritarian party, I do think there are trends towards autocracy within the party. And I think you know, it's understandable in a way. And I think it comes from a generally good place initially, but then they say, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think in this case, Nicola Sturging is paving that road to hell and she needs to get off the path. Yeah, yeah I'm... Sorry, Karen. Karen, Ellie. Oh, thank you. Um, I was just going to say, I'm glad you brought up intentions because I still think Nicola Sturgeon will do her best by Scotland. Um, I'm not denying there's certainly an element of a power grab there and a kind of overstep of power. But I do think she would do everything in her power to make sure independence works, whether that's for her own benefit and for her own pride or whether that's for the benefit of Scotland. I know we're probably going to differ um, on opinions about that. But I think maybe this is just me not being that clued up on Scottish politics. Um, but I don't see anyone kind of better fitted at the moment to do that. Um, again, this could be me not wanting independence in Scotland. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to see who could take a place and who could lead Scotland to success if independence did happen. On that final note, we've had some interesting debates from the controversy around Sturgeon to the future of Scotland, whether in the union or not, and who may lead them into the future. I'd like to thank our three participants, uh, Alex Dennis for the Conservatives, Abby Clargo for Labour and Frank Allen for the Liberals. This has been the POI podcast. <laughs>